I hope you're all satisfied with a nice lunch. And I hope you're all perky and ready to listen, ears open. Um, nobody's going to go to sleep, so you're not? If I see anybody going to sleep, I'll let us shout. Will I? Hallelujah! And we'll see who jumps. So, we're going to continue. We have been looking at how Nehemiah, his heart was touched when he realised the brokenness and the rubble that was around Jerusalem. And he decided he was going to obey God and he was going to do something about it. He made a decision and that decision changed his life but it also changed so many other lives. I believe including us this weekend that even yet what Nehemiah did has still an ongoing effect. Isn't it amazing how when we obey God it continues, it rolls on and on and we have no idea where that impact will stop. Because it affects one person and that person affects the next person. And God can do what you and I would never dream he could do if we just trust him and obey him. That's the key, trust and obey. I know that's an old hymn, but it is the truth. And so we've been looking at how Nehemiah decided to go back to rebuild the gates and the walls. And we said how the walls were for protection and for boundaries. And we we talked about how we all need that. We need God to protect us, but we also need godly boundaries in our lives. And we also looked at the gates, at how the gates were for going through and for going out to bless and receiving blessing coming through gates. But gates were also, in the Old Testament, they were a place where business was done. The elders of the city came to the gate of the city and they sat there and lots of business was done. Remember the time that Ruth got married. She was married in the gates, in the gate of the city where they came to the elders. And so it was a place of judgment as well because the elders held court there and judgment took place. So this weekend, if you like, is a gate. It's a gate where there's an opportunity for you to do business with God. This is your opportunity this weekend. We looked last night at the line of history. We are standing in line. We are going through. We only have one chance in this lifetime. We've got to make, we've got to make this life count. Remember that old saying? Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Jesus will last. Put your hand up if, you're, if you know that. No? That's something we grew up with. We grew up with that saying, only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Jesus will last. And so we're going to see today that Nehemiah was going to these gates and he was going to rebuild them and it was going to make a difference in the lives of the people. And we're going to see actually it made a difference even going down the centuries, even down to the time of Jesus. And so far, we have looked at, uh, what, three gates so far. The first one was the sheep gate, which we uh, all agreed was the the picture of the cross, Jesus being the Lamb of God, uh, the, the one who bore our sins, and how the sheep gate practically was used to bring the sheep in to the sacrifice in the temple. And then we looked at the fish gate. 
and the fish gate was where Jesus calls us. It was where the, in the natural way back in biblical times where they brought the, the fish that were caught in the, in the Mediterranean and brought them through this gate to the market. But also it speaks of us being fishers of men, of Jesus saying, follow me, I will make you fishers of men. And you know, sometimes we think that we have to know a whole lot about the Bible or we couldn't talk to anybody. This is a lie the enemy will tell you. You couldn't talk to anybody because you don't know anything. So you're just a new believer. What could you do? And we need to recognize where that voice comes from. Because remember the woman at the well? I mean, she only had one look into the eyes of Jesus and saw the love of God meet her eyeball to eyeball and had an encounter that he was the Messiah Messiah who had been promised to come. And she was so impacted, she went straight out into the city and she began to gossip to everybody about Jesus. And she became a person who was catching people. It says many believed on him because of the word of the woman. And so we have this opportunity right from the beginning to be fishers of men. And then we took a quick look then just before lunch. We took a quick look at this gate, the old gate. And we saw that God, God's old plans, if you like the original, go back to the original. I remember a lady one time telling me about her mother-in-law had given her the gift of a, an old t table that she thought was an old table and she thought it was hideous. But your mother-in-law, so what are you going to do? And so she had to put this thing in the, in the, in the hall, you know, uh, in a place of prominence. And every day she looked at it, she felt like throwing it out, but she couldn't because it had, was her mother-in-law's. And then she decided it might be a good idea to begin to take the polish off it and begin to take off one layer after another. And when she got down and got all the layers off, she realised she had a very special antique table that was worth a fortune. And you see, for, for us, there are so many layers. So many layers that God wants to take off. So many layers of a false self that we have put upon ourselves or has been thrust upon us by society or by our family or by expectations from other people. God doesn't want a false you or a false me. He, he made you to be you. And we saw at the last gate that the old gate speaks of how he created you in the beginning, in his image, to be perfect and to be beautiful. And how he died to restore that back to, to restore us back to our original beauty. And one day we will be finally restored. But hey, we're in the process now. We might as well start now and let him work on us now. Why wait until sometime in the by and by? Better to start now. That's what God wants us to do. And so we looked at that last time and we saw that this gate, a couple of things before we leave the old gate that I didn't have time to talk about, was that if we look at it just very quickly in chapter 3, we'll see that they have already said that they were working side by side. But on the old gate, it says all these different people, uh, all these names, which I'm not going to try and pronounce, but verse 7, next to them were so-and-so, and then the next one and the next one. And so it goes down to verse 8. Next to him, Uziel, the son of Harahiah, one of the goldsmiths made repairs. Next to him, Hananiah, one of their perfumers, made repairs. Do you see the mixture of people? There was common people. There was people who were skilled goldsmiths. There was perfumers. Next to them was Raphael, the son of Hur, a leader of half the district. He was one of the leaders. He was making repairs and so on and so on. And they were all next to each other and they were pulling together. And then in, in verse 12 it says, next to him was Shalom, the son of Halobesh, leader of half the district of Jerusalem. 
So this was a man who was a leader of half of the old city of Jerusalem. And it says, he and his daughters made repairs. So do you see that the women were out helping to make repairs at this old gate? And I think it's so, it makes me kind of excited to think that the, it's the only mention of women being out there because the old gate was about restoration and are not women, are we not all into restoration? I mean, don't we like to try and restore, you know? No wonder those girls were out in the streets, that's all I can say. And so... You see, God wants us, and, and I have a friend who says, Lord, just keep making us beautiful, keep us young, keep the wrinkles away. And you know, I believe that when we love God, actually, we become even more beautiful. No matter if we're older, I believe God is the beauty from the inside. And God wants to do something in you this weekend that's going to renew your beauty, that's going to come up out of the very pit of your being and come out in your face that you will shine Jesus everywhere you go. Isn't that what this is all about? And God wants us to spend a moment, I think, at this old gate and look at the mixture of people. Perfumers. What else did I say? Perfumers. um, Goldsmiths. Women. Ordinary people. Leaders. Owners of the city. We had them all there together, all working together. And it reminds me of how God wants us as his people to work in unity. Again, I just want to read a quick word that I read the other day. This is a daily reading book. I've already quoted it last night. It's by Chris Tigreen. Really recommend any of the daily readings of Chris Tigreen. They are so rich and so beautiful. Any of his books are amazing. I've used quite a few of them. But this one uh, that I read the other day just reminded me of, of how unity is so important. Talking about the, the Moravians, we needn't go into that, but they have a wonderful heritage of, of prayer and of mission. And it says that they are known today for their century-long prayer commitment and their missionary efforts that helped spark the modern mission movement. But those first fruits came from a deeper root of unity. Jesus told his followers that the world would know them by their love for one another. When hearts are united in love, amazing things happen. Never assume you will be able to fulfill your mission as a believer on your own. Your wisdom, power and love are given by God in the context of fellowship. As the unity of your fellowship increases, so do the wisdom, power and love. And every other fruit that comes as the body exercises spiritual gifts together. When God enters into the bonds of spiritual union with his people, we are empowered and lives and worlds are changed. And so unity is such a powerful thing. And so these these people at the old gate, they were working together and they were doing a great job. You know, when we're restored, when God, Jesus died on the cross, he went through that sheep gate to pay the price of your forgiveness, but also for the price of your restoration, that you could be free from the shame and the fear and, and all the stuff that this world tries to put upon you. We are not built to, fear and shame and blame are what, they're the results of the fall in the beginning of the book of the Bible, in Genesis, where sin entered the world. And we are forgiven of that. And that is rubble in our lives. If you're carrying shame, you're carrying rocks of rubble. If you're carrying a spirit of fear, 
Those, that is rubble, that is ruined. You, that does not belong to you. That is not who you are. You've been redeemed. You've been bought back out of that. And God wants to set you free of that this weekend. And, you know, I, I think in Genesis, whenever they first realized that they'd lost the glory and God called them, the first thing that they realized was they were afraid. The first thing that happened was they became fearful. And then the shame, they felt instead of covered with the glory, they were covered with shame. And then they began to blame each other. Did you ever notice that? You know, she blamed him and he blamed her. He says to God, the woman you gave me, he actually blamed God. The woman that you gave me. And, you know, we tend, still tend to do that. But God wants us free of all that stuff, free of that rubble. So we're going to continue on now because after this old gate, we're going to come to the next one, which is the valley gate. And the valley gate is very interesting to me. I don't know why it was called the valley gate. Uh, I don't know. Maybe somebody here knows something you can enlighten me on. I'm not quite sure, unless it was near the valley of... Um, uh, you know, down into the Mount of Olives there. Um, I'm not sure exactly where it was positioned, but it was next in line to the to the old gate. But the valley gate reminds me of the valleys and the trials of life that we all go through. And I think it's very interesting that the Bible is full of different valley circumstances. Now, I'm not going to go into all of them at all, but I want to just read you through a few places in the Bible that you might want to follow up yourself and if you want to come and get the references for these afterwards that's okay but there's a valley of the shadow of death which we all immediately think of I don't believe that when we die we go through any valley I think it's the people who are alive who, who, who lose who lose their loved ones who actually experience a shadow of death that's my take on it the valley of trouble Hosea 2 that God will give make he'll actually make a valley of trouble into a door of hope I have experienced that in my own life where I had trouble but God made, brought out, actually brought me to a place where there was a door which brought me into hope. Uh, then there's the Valley of Weeping. That's in Psalm 84. Uh, and again, that's a beautiful, um, as we go through the Valley of Weeping, it says um, that God can do so many beautiful things for us. Uh, Psalm 84 says that he uh, can make it a well, make it a place to drink. So we can be refreshed. There's a valley of giants, which David experienced in 2 Samuel 5. There's a valley of barrenness, which is in Joel 3. Um, there's a valley of Jehoshaphat, which is speaking of the final judgment in Joel 3. The, the valley of decision, Joel 3, and the valley of blessing in Chronicles, uh, 2 Chronicles 20. So those are just a few valleys that might be good for you if you felt like doing a, a personal study on that. That might be good. But... Really, today I just wanted to talk about valleys in general, and I wanted to say how when you go through a valley, whether it's trouble or pain or loss or bereavement, whatever valley you might be going through, whether it's a valley of giants, a huge giant has come up before you, whatever that valley is, it can often be very, very painful. And when we go through valleys, here's my take on it, when we go through valleys, I believe it's a place where actually we are changed because we begin to take on new priorities. When you're in a dark and difficult and painful situation, we'll either become better or bitter. We will either trust and look to God and experience God changing us and giving us new priorities, or we will turn inwards and we'll become hard and we'll, we'll become a, a, a person who is, is 
uh, not so nice. I, I believe God does a, wants to do a beautiful work through the valleys. I, I want to just mention, you know, very briefly, my valley or my experience of going through, because for me the darkest valley that I have gone through, apart from bereavement and loss as a child and all of that, but coming through divorce for me was a deep valley. Not, not only because I, of the divorce separation and divorce with my husband but because there was also the loss of ministry because we had been on the mission field and my dream uh, was that I would serve God and it was the grieving and the loss of what we might have done for God and so that was very painful for me for a very long time as well and at one stage in my story I felt I, I felt I'd, I had so much rubble around me that I wasn't going to make it I, I felt I, I was so full of shame that I'd ended up in this place. I was on my own. I had an eight-year-old child with learning severe learning disabilities. And um, it was a very, very dark place. And I've already mentioned to you about uh, Isaiah 61 and 4, where I'd read about rebuilding the old ruins. And, uh, and then it says, raise up the former desolations. And then a little bit further down that chapter in Isaiah 61, I had read these words that God was going to, instead of shame, he was going to give me double honour. I think I will actually read you uh, the passage here, what I read. It's the same Bible that I read it in. And here's what God said to me after I had read about rebuilding the ruins. Here's what God said to me. But you shall be named the priests of the Lord. They shall call you the servants of our God. You shall eat the riches of the Gentiles. And in their glory you shall boast. Instead of your shame, you shall have double honour. And instead of confusion, they shall rejoice in their portion. Therefore in their land they shall possess double. And everlasting joy shall be theirs. God spoke that to me very, very clearly. And I remember one night when I was a very, in a very low place. And I remember crying out to God to speak to me. What was I to do? Was I to, was I to try and wait until this marriage maybe might work out or God could do some kind of miracle or what was I supposed to do? And I remember the Bible just fell open at a passage in 1 Samuel 30 where David's wives had been stolen and where he was crying out to, the God, out to God, he became very afraid and he cried out to God because his own men were turning against him. And in a place of fear, he cried out to God, what should he do? Should he go after his wives? Should he try and get them back? What should he do? And God spoke these words to David, and they just hit my spirit. Pursue, for you shall surely overtake, and without doubt, recover all. And I remember saying, Lord, I, I think you're not telling me to pursue this marriage, because that's going to take me down a wrong road. But I felt God say, forget about the marriage. I can sort that out if I want to. Just pursue me. I remember he spoke that to me so clearly. Pursue me and you shall surely overtake and without doubt recover all. And you know, I can stand here today and I can tell you that's exactly what has happened. 
because I did overtake and I have recovered all and more with it. And so God is a God where in moments of decision and in moments of encounter where your life can be changed. And that's why I don't come here this weekend with the thought, well, I hope that people will like the teaching or I hope that we'll, we'll get by and it'll be a nice time. That is not why we're here. We're here because we believe and we have proved that one moment with God where you decide that you're going to trust them. One moment where you and God do a deal together can change your life. And if I didn't believe that, I wouldn't be here. So this is an opportunity for God's stuff to happen, where actually your life, where you can start to overtake. And the things that you thought that you'd lost, you can suddenly find, hey, I'm overtaking that. You can begin to pass a few things and realize that you're going faster than you ever thought you could. And don't let the enemy tell you that, you know, that stuff that you had thought you'd missed, that, that it's gone. Listen, if you do a deal with God, he'll do a deal with you, and he's a miraculous God. Amen. And I tell you, you can start to overtake a few things. And not only that, but you can begin to recover back things you thought you'd lost forever. God wants to give you back more than what you've lost. And so I'm telling you that because my, my valley was the making of me. My valley was the very time where God did his best work. I knew God from I was eight years old. I was brought up in a Christian family. I was taken to all the, all the church meetings. I heard all the Bible teaching. I loved the Bible. It was powerful. I loved it. But I tell you, it was through the valley that I proved it. It was through the valley of the hard stuff that God made the big change in my life and so I believe that this weekend that God wants to do business remember what we said the business was done in the gates we're in the gates this weekend and God's sitting here waiting to do business with you if you're ready to do it with him and so when you go through the gates when you go through the valley something happens and I'm going to read this I wrote this down the things we used to think were important can now become very little and that's what God I believe wants to do and so this gate going through the valley where does this gate bring us to in line what's the next gate on our list the trash gate you notice I say the trash gate rather than the dumb gate <laughs> or the or the rubbish we call it in, Ar in Ireland and in Britain we say rubbish you say trash isn't that right I think it's amazing the order that these gates are in. The sheep gate, then the fish gate, then the old gate that Jesus wants us to learn, that he wants to restore everything to us. Then we go through the valleys of life, we realise there's difficulty, we realise that everyone has problems. We don't go through this life unscathed. And the enemy will try to tell you, oh, your, your valley was the worst one. I, 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 yeah, I needn't go there, this is being recorded. But I can tell you that there are some people who think their, their valley is the worst one. Nobody ever has suffered what I have suffered. <laughs> you know, we go through the valleys. It's part of life. But God's plan is to bring us out smelling the fragrance of the lily, lily of the valley, who is Jesus Christ himself, one of his names, I believe. The lily of the valley. He wants us to be more fragrant. He wants us to come out leaving stuff behind. And the stuff that we leave behind, I believe, is the rubble. And in the midst of that pain that I went through, I want to tell you one quick story before I continue. 
I've told it here once before, but I want to tell it just quickly to illustrate something. In the midst of all of that pain, I was working in social services at the time, and they sent me, I was working with children uh, and families, and they sent me off to do a five, uh, five retreats, weekend retreats over the period of one year. And one of those retreats was uh, part of what we did over that weekend. We were given the opportunity to work with clay. And we were able to, we were just told, just work with clay, just do, make whatever you want to make. And so it had to be, we were meant to be, it wasn't a teaching weekend, it partly was, but we had to work on our own stuff, on our own um, problems and circumstances. And so I was, in the, at this stage, was actually going through separation, and I was very, very, very broken. And here I was with this clay, and I remember working the clay, and I mean, I'm not artistic, and I'd never even touched clay before, I don't think, but I remember as I worked with the clay, I remember feeling some kind, I started to think about God and how he said he would mould us like clay, and I felt this kind of affinity, and almost a love for this clay, and I think, what's wrong with you? You feel <laughs> love for this clay? But it was almost like, that's the way God loves me, you know, and God wants to work with me, and it was a lovely feeling to shape it, and to, you know, get the water on, and, and, and I, I was really enjoying this, and I began to make this, um, this figure and it turned out to be a, like an old woman who was bent over. And she was really, I'm going to show you the shape, like really like this. She was bent over. And, and as I was making her and molding her, I began to get very emotional. It's amazing how these things can stir up. And I began to feel very emotional and, and uh, began to kind of weep. And I began to say, God, that's who I am. That's me. I'm, I'm broken, I'm bent, look, I'm, I'm ruined. And, and I remember weeping, and we were given space on our own, and I was able to weep freely and talk to God about this. And then I began to continue to work with the clay, and, and, and as I worked with the clay, I began to make this other figure, and she was beautiful. She was standing tall, and she had both arms up in the air, and she was worshipping. And I remember distinctly to this day, I remember how I made her hair, lovely long hair. And I, I remember looking at her and said, God, that's who I want to be. That's who I want to be, not this old broken, bent over woman. And I put them back to back, and I, I, I used the clay to attach them back to back. And I left that week, and I remember going home, and I remember driving over this hill and parking the car, and weeping and having a moment with God. And I said, God, I believe that you will do something in my life to get rid of that, that ruin, to get rid of, I don't want that to be part of me. That is not who I am. And so maybe a year, maybe a year and a half, I can't exactly remember, but I was given another opportunity to go to Belfast, a different place, uh, for another similar type of just a half day this time. And guess what? But didn't they come out with the clay all over again? <laughs> and so I was given another opportunity. And so I made the same old woman and the same young woman, and I attached them together. And just in the quietness of a corner on my own, I stood there and I took a knife out and I said, Lord, this is it. The old woman must go. And I cut her off and I dropped her into the trash. And I left her there. Now, I want to tell you, that old woman, that, that bit that was the false me, that bit that I had gathered up all the, all the stuff and the shame and all of that, that old woman still tries to come back onto me from time to time. <coughs> and I want to say that to you, that, that it's very easy to allow the world and the pressures of life and how we've been treated by others and, and how we've been brought up 
and all of our life experiences, it's very easy to allow that to actually mold us into something that's false and not authentic. And God wants us to be real women who are going to live the way he originally designed us to live. That is the plan. That's what God wants for you. Nothing less than that. And so I, I felt I wanted to read to you another little bit out of this book. It's a different book. It's called, um, it's by the same author. I'm really into this woman at the minute, as you might guess. Her name is Ruth Haley Barton. But this is a book called An Invitation to Solitude and Silence. And here's what she says. What is left after we've been stripped of the false self? When the terror has gone so deep that we fear that our very essence has been ripped away. Well, this is the part that some of us find hard to believe. We have identified for so long with the illusions of the sinful, wounded self that we can't imagine there is anything truer about us than that. We have not yet glimpsed the essential self that has created good brought into being by God himself, known by God long before we were brought into physical form. It is a self that is fearfully and wonderfully made, with a purpose uniquely suited to the way it was formed, Psalm 139. This self is smaller in one sense than the ego identity, because it does not need to be big in order to prove itself to the world. This self is truer because it does not rely on image management to find acceptance in the world. This self is softer because it does not rely on hardened defence structures to keep itself safe in the world. This self is freer because it knows itself to be finally and ultimately held safely in a love that is unchangeable and real. This love does not lose track of us no matter what dark places we must walk into. It is a love deeper than any abyss that we, might that we might fall into. It is a love with the power to heal any brokenness that we might encounter. This love eventually becomes a bedrock of settledness at the core of our being. It is worth any price we have to pay to find it. I believe there's an opportunity this weekend for us to start on this journey of letting go of the falseness and the masks that we put up to, uh, to try and defend ourselves. And so we come to the trash gate. We come to the gate where, in the natural, where everyone threw out their rubbish. All the trash went out this gate. This was the gate that was out in the Valley of Hinnom, which was a continual burning. They continually burned the trash that was thrown into this valley. And worse than that, this was the valley where some of the kings actually uh, offered up their own children as human sacrifices in the Valley of Hinnom. No wonder the Valley of Hinnom is often referred to as Hades or Hell. And this is the place that we've come to in our gates. And this is the place where God wants us to get rid of the trash in our lives. This is the gate where God wants us to. Did you ever throw something out and then have a look at it and think, maybe I could use that after all? <laughs> and you take it back out again. Did you ever do that? I don't think God wants us to do that this weekend. I think he wants us to recognize the trash. He wants us to recognize the stuff that is not good for us. He wants us to make a clean break. We're at the trash gate. I have a few verses I wanted to read here to you. From 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. 
Therefore, second, chapter 7, verse 1, Therefore, having these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves, get rid of the trash, in other words, from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Now, in the, in the, in the message, it says, with promises like this, like this to pull us on, dear friends, let us make a clean break with everything that defiles or distracts us, both within and without let us make our entire lives fit and holy temples for the worship of God. So I think this trash gate is a very important one. And when you go to the stations, there will be an opportunity there for you to take some time and think, what is the trash? What is the rubble in my life? What do I need to purify myself from? What do I need to bring into the light, to, to bring before God? You see, I've learned over the years that when... First John talks about walking in the light as God is in the light. That that is a huge key for us to walk in peace and in joy and in hope. That's a huge key for living. And so when we bring our fears or our sin or whatever, when we bring it into the light before God and sometimes before another trusted believer, sometimes it's really good to do that. Because when we bring it into the light, God deals with it. The message says about John, 1 John 1 verse 9, if we admit our sins, make a clean breast of them, he won't let us down. He'll forgive our sins and he'll purge us of wrongdoing. And 1 John 1 verse 7 says, if we walk in the light as God is in the light, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. And we have peace one with another. We have fellowship one with another. So it works this way. It freezes this way and it freezes this way. We have fellowship with each other. It's a huge key. It's been one of the key verses in my life about walking in the light. And so this morning earlier, when some of the guys were praying for me, some of the stuff that I felt the enemy was trying to attack me with, in my thoughts, I, thought, I, I knew I needed to bring it into the light because once you bring it into the light, the enemy is rendered useless he's no power he's powerless and a lot of the time we're feeling that we're under threat and we're feeling that we can't cope and we're feeling like we're overwhelmed because we're actually covering things and keeping it in the dark instead of bringing it out to the trash bringing it out to god's light and dealing with it and when we bring it into the light the enemy has no more power over it now um i i believe that this is an important one because this is one where we're going to uh, think about over the next the next uh, 24 hours hopefully or the rest of today uh, as you as you go around your 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 10 stations so spiritual trust what is spiritual trust wrong thinking isn't it Joyce Meyer that says stinking thinking we don't want to have stinking thinking we don't want to allow the enemy to control our mind and one of the things that the enemy does is he, he, he actually starts to to whisper into your mind that you have to perform if god's going to love you you've got to perform and in the society we live in that's that's been pushed into us from we've been very very young but that's not what god says god loves you because he loves you and he'll continue to love you regardless of what you do or what you don't do. He's a God who loves you unconditionally. And so we get, we get uh, to this place in the trash where we need to throw out those wrong thoughts about God. Feeling he doesn't like you, that you have to perform. And we need to get rid of this, all of this stuff. You know, as well as, as, well as wrong thinking, there can also be like physical habits 
that also we need to learn how to get rid of. There's also stuff like addiction, false comforts. I'll tell you what's a big one we need to really think about seriously, is control. We try to control everything and everybody. And that is a huge weight for us to carry. How can we control anything in our own lives, let alone someone else's life? And yet we try to do it, and it's a huge rock for us to carry. God is the one who's in control. And you know, a lot of the time that we worry about stuff, and we think, oh, it's just worry. No, it's not. It's a big lump of rubble, and you're not meant to carry it. Jesus said that you weren't... That I listened to a teacher from Northern Ireland just a few days ago called Charlotte Kern, and she was making this illustration as to how Jesus said... Uh, that we are only meant to live for this day. We're only permitted to carry the cares for this day, not tomorrow. If it's in tomorrow, we are not permitted to carry it. But when today comes, we carry that care. But what do we do? We don't carry it and hold on to it. We carry it and we go and we cast it onto Jesus. We carry it to cast it. We don't, that's why we can live lightly. That's why we can live with a, a peace in our heart because we don't carry tomorrow's burdens, we live in today. And when we carry today's burden, we just cast it onto Jesus and he carries it for us. And so when we think of the rubbish, we often think of the worry and the anxiety that we put up with, which is stuff that very often is never going to happen anyway. And yet we are way down the line with all kinds of imagination and God does not want us to live like that. He wants us to be free of it. He wants us to learn how to throw this stuff out into the trash. Yeah, we need to say that, that this stuff has no part of our lives. And I'm just reading what I've written here. All of this trash is a life out of control, searching for hope and comfort. And we can't win on our own strength and determination. We need the Holy Spirit in our lives. From guess what? What's the next gate? The next gate is the fountain gate. What does the fountain gate stand for? It talks about the Holy Spirit. Let me read to you just what it says about the fountain gate. Verse 14 is the refuge or the trash gate where they built it and its doors with its bolts and its bars. Verse 15, Shalon, the son of Paul Jose, leader of a district of Mizpah, repaired the fountain gate. He built it, covered it, hung its doors with its bolts and bars, and repaired the wall of the pool of Sila. The pool of Sila was the pool of Siloam, okay, by the king's garden as far as the stairs that go down from the city of David. And so this particular gate was the fountain gate. Now the fountain gate was the, the water came from the Gihon spring and the, the, the spring, the water came into the fountain gate and this was where uh, they repaired this particular gate and I want to tell you something about this gate it was in a particularly bad state of repair how do we know that? do you remember last night no, was it that last night? no, this morning this morning whenever I read to you about Nehemiah when he first came to the city. Do you remember I told you that he went on the donkey to do an inspection before he would start the work? Remember I told you that when he came on his donkey up to the fountain gate, there was so much rubble, he couldn't get past it. So we know that this gate was particularly badly damaged. 
And I think this is very interesting. Let me read this to you. The Fountain Gate must have been a centre of concentrated attack during the siege of Jerusalem by the Babylonian army. And 2 Kings 25 verse 4 tells us about one of the gates where they, they ran after the, the Jewish people as they tried to flee. In the same way, this gate, this gate's spiritual counterpart, which is the Holy Spirit, namely the Holy Spirit, has always been and continues to be a target of satanic attack. And I think that is very, very, as it is in the natural, so it is in the spiritual. And the detail of Nehemiah telling about these practical things that they did, the layers of truth that are in God's word never fail to astound me. But to think that this gate was more damaged than any of the other gates, and, uh, and, and this was one of concentrated uh, attack uh, during the, the siege. I've written here in my notes, when we get rid of the trash in our lives, get ready for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit to cleanse and renew. You see, when you get rid of the, the trash, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit has room to come in and to fill you in a fresh and a new way and oh he still wants to bless you he still wants to fill you in a new way you know after i came through my valley and and kind of got rid of i know she keeps trying to come back but got rid of that old woman once i got rid of that trash i came into a whole new experience of the holy spirit i had been brought up to believe that the holy spirit was part of the godhead of course and I knew that he had sealed me the moment I trusted him for salvation. But I had no idea about the gifts of the Spirit. I had no idea about the prophetic. I had no idea about anything until I had come through and got rid of that trash. And wham, I met the Holy Spirit through people who knew how to pray and people who, who were in touch with God in a way that I had. I didn't realize how big the gospel was. I didn't realize how much Jesus had done for me. I didn't realize that the Holy Spirit could minister to me Actually, even in tangible ways at times, I had an experience that knocked me off my feet with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is wonderful. And yet we see all around us so often people targeting and speaking against the Holy Spirit. And of course, that's the only unforgivable sin, isn't it? If we, if we don't allow the Spirit to do his work on us, there's no other way of coming to God. And so we see that the Holy Spirit releases the fountains of living waters. And isn't it interesting that they built up the pool of Siloam? Now let me tell you something. That when Jesus came all those centuries later, do you remember at the Feast of Tabernacles he went up to Jerusalem? Well, I need to tell you, at the Feast of Tabernacles they were remembering and uh, looking back to the time that God led them through the wilderness and uh, how he dwelt with them in a tent or a tabernacle, that's what they were doing. And, but what they did, what the Jews did uh, at the time of Jesus, the priest in the temple came down to the pool of Siloam and took a great big jug of water and lifted the water out of the pool of Siloam and, and spoke, uh, shouted out in a loud voice the words of Isaiah 12, therefore with joy we shall bring water out of the wells of salvation. And then he poured, brought it up to the temple and he poured it out. Well, listen, at that particular time, after going down to the pool of Siloam, which had been repaired in Nehemiah's time, and bringing it up and pouring it out in the temple, that was the time that Jesus went up at the feast. And do you remember what he cried out? I'm going to read it to you right now. Here's what he cried out. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. 
He who believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet received. Can you believe that Nehemiah, rebuilding this fountain gate, that one day Jesus was going to come, and after the priests had taken the water out, he would say, anyone thirsts? that have come unto me, the Messiah had come. So I want to say to you that the fountain gate is very, very interesting for me. The fountains of living water, God wants to release, I believe he wants to release you of this gate this weekend. I believe he's, he's challenging you all, including myself, to be more open to the Holy Spirit, to, to get rid of the trash. It's not worth holding on to. It's only going to destroy us. Get rid of those weights and that rubble and those ruins. You don't need to live in ruins of the past. You don't need to live with rubble and, and trash. Get rid of it. Get to the trash gate and throw it out and tell God you want rid of it. And he'll help you and he'll cleanse you and he'll get rid of it for you. Take it, lift it off you. But be open to the Holy Spirit and ask him to come and fill all those areas that you've now emptied up once you've thrown out. You know, we cling to trash. We so often even fill our homes with stuff. God wants a good clear out. Spiritually speaking, he wants to clear out so that he can come in and take over. He wants to be in control of your life. He wants you to stop trying to control everything. Give the control to him. Let him lead your life because he knows more than you do and he's going to make better decisions than you will. So he's challenging us, I do believe, this weekend. And so we're, we're asking you that you would consider this. Consider uh, coming to the living waters, the, the, the fountain of living waters that wants to spring up in your life. And it's amazing that the Holy Spirit produces the fruit of the Spirit, which is the love and the joy and the peace and the long-suffering and all those things, but also it produces the gifts of the Spirit. And God wants us to operate in the gifts as well, where you can be prompted by the Holy Spirit to give a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom, where you can actually pray for people and see people healed, where you can see miraculous things happening through the gifts of the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is amazing. But here's the thing. The very next gate that they were going to come to was the water gate. And the water gate is, speaks of the word of God. And, and the, water, the water gate and the fountain gate came from the one source. They came from the Gihon Spring. There's only one source of water in Jerusalem. And that's from the Gihon Spring. And it flows into the Pool of Siloam. It's all the one source. And so the word and the, the word of God and the Holy Spirit of God are all from the one source. And, and in Ephesians, it talks about the water of the word. And so the water gate speaks very much of, of God's word. You need to look over at verse 26 to see, moreover, the Athenim who dwelt in Ophel made repairs as far as the place in front of the water gate. Now the interesting thing was that the water gate was the only gate that physically didn't need repaired. It just needed to be repaired in front of it. I think that's quite interesting because if you think of the detail of God's word, God's word stands forever. Psalm 119 says an awful lot about his word but one of the things it says that it's forever settled in heaven. And so there's no changing or repairing God's word. God's word is forever. And so they didn't have to do any work at this gate, just in front of the gate. But isn't it amazing that the fountain gate and the water gate were side by side, both the water coming from the one source, the Gihon Spring. And so the spirit of the word 
and the spirit of the, of the fountain of life, the Holy Spirit and the Word of God are one. One God, the Holy Spirit, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, we are going to just wind up in a moment or two, but this is what I want to say to you, that the Word of God is a plumb line for our lives. The Word of God is so beautiful. I Honestly, I could talk all night about the Word of God. The Word of God is so dear to my heart. I love Psalm 19. I tell you, Psalm 19 has to be one of my favourite pieces of scripture. I think it is the most beautiful. Let me just find it here and read a couple of things and we will finish up very quickly then with the horse gate and we're going to continue in the last talk with the horse gate. Hey, Lord, where am I? Psalm 19. Yes. No, 19. This is where it starts off. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmaments show his handiwork. Day on the day, other speech, so on and so on. And then it goes into the law of the Lord, the word of the Lord and the law of the word is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple and so on and so on. It goes right down. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. Did you ever think that God's word can rejoice your heart? Have you ever been in a low place and gone and read some scripture and you just feel the joy coming up into your heart? That's the Holy Spirit and the Word working together. And you know, if we don't, if we don't read the Word and we don't ask the Holy Spirit to come and reveal the Word to us, we won't know that rejoicing. We won't experience it. We need to come to the Holy Spirit and say, please help me to understand the Word of God. Make it a living word instead of a logos, instead of it being a written word. Make it a rhema word, a living word in my heart. And it will rejoice our heart. That's what God does. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. So on and more to be desired are they than gold. Yea, than much fine gold. And sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. I tell you, God's word is so rich and so empowering. But here's the last wee bit of it. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. This is the this is the inter part. This is the inside part. This is the part where there's bits of rubble maybe that we haven't even recognised. We say, Holy Spirit, cleanse me from any rubble that's in my heart. Cleanse me, make me clean. The psalmist, the psalmist says, Keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and I shall be innocent of great transgression. And here's the verse I want to read to you. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. I believe God wants us to know his word in a beautiful way. And of course, the word of God is a sword. And as we're going to finish up, I'm not going to do an awful lot about this next gate, this horse gate. It's going to tie in with the last talk. But the horse gate speaks, as I said, where Solomon physically kept his, his horses. Solomon had many horses. But the horse gate, gate, I believe, spiritually speaking, speaks of spiritual warfare. And so long as we're in, on this earth, and so long as we're living for God, I can tell you there will be a need for warfare. And isn't it interesting that the Holy Spirit and the Word take the Word, take the, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Do you see how the Spirit and the Word work together? And isn't it amazing that we have the fountain gate, the water gate, and then we have the horse gate. We need the Spirit of the Word to be able to fight 
in warfare by using the sword of the spirit. Isn't it interesting that when Jesus was, remember he was taken aside and tempted for those 40 days, how did he win that battle? By the word of God. We need to use the word of God as a weapon. That at this particular time, they needed to be warfaring because they were getting on with the rebuilding very, very quickly. Just want you to turn back to Nehemiah 6. And let's just look at what Nehemiah and the Jews were having to put up with at this particular stage. Nehemiah 6. Actually, Nehemiah 4, first of all. It says, When it happened when Sinbalat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, that he was furious and very indignant, and he mocked the Jews. Remember the first time he laughed at them? Now he's mocking them. Look a little further down. Uh, the, the words that he speak, he's, that were spoken over the Jews, look down to verse, the end of verse 2. Uh, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete this in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish, stones that are burned? And in the midst of it, verse 4, Nehemiah says, Hear us, O God. He immediately turns to God. Look down a little bit further. Verse 6, So they built the wall, and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. Look down a little bit further, end of verse 7. When they heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and that the gaps were beginning to be closed, they became very angry and all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. Isn't that another, uh, another means that the enemy uses in our lives to bring confusion against us? We need to warfare against confusion. Nevertheless, it says in verse 9, we made our prayer to our God and because of them we set a watch against them day and night. Watch and pray. That's what we're meant to be doing in these days. Watch and pray. Then Judah. Now Judah was one of the Jews within their own ranks. How often we get negative words coming from within our own ranks. Another believer. Judah says the strength of the laborers is failing. And there's so much rubbish that we're not able to build the wall. What about negativity? Do you ever have anybody who's a Christian and they're working or you're doing something and they say, oh, how can we do this? This is too much for us. This is what they're putting up with. And then verse 11, and our adversaries, they said, they'll never know us or see anything till we come into their midst and will cause the work to cease. And so they were here. And then it says in verse 12, so it was when the Jews who dwelt near them came that they told us 10 times from whatever place you turn, they'll be upon us. 10 times. Do you ever have a persistent negative voice dripping into your head? 10 times they were told. But Nehemiah did not listen. It says, so it was when the Jews who dwelt near them came, they told us for ten times. Then verse 13, Then said Nehemiah, I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings, and I set the people according to their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the leaders and to the rest of the people, listen to the power of words and listen to what he said. Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. And it happened when our enemies heard that it was known to us, and that God had brought their plot to nothing, that all of us returned to the wall, everyone to his work. Verse 17, those who built on the wall and those who carried burdens loaded themselves, so that with one hand they worked at construction, and with the other hand they held a weapon. And every one of the builders had a sword girded at his side as he built. And the one who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And I said, 
The work is great and extensive. There were strung out working on this wall, and we are separated far from one another on the wall. But wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Listen to these words. Our God will fight for us. Listen, folks. We need to learn how to build God's kingdom. And until we get rid of this rubbish that's lying inside us, we really haven't got the strength for it. We need to lighten up and then take the sword of the spirit, start to build the kingdom together. And you see, whenever there's a problem, blow the trumpet. Let each other know. I tell you, these Greek texts are a great job. You can use them in a very positive way. When there's a problem, get to prayer. Call, work together, and see God moving. We'll come back to that a little bit at the end of it all. But here's the thing. God wants you ladies to be lightened up. And he wants to equip you. And he's given you his Holy Spirit. He's given you his word. And he's given you each other. Because we're meant to do this together. We are not an island. We are part of the body of Christ. And we are ne- we're needing to share with each other. We're needing to be open with each other. We're needing to be truthful. We're needing to walk in the light and allow God to do wonderful things together. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, for this Nehemiah story. I thank you for these gifts. I pray, O oh Lord, today that even as people get prayer ministry later, that you will be there, Holy Spirit, that your word will do a work that's beautiful. I pray, O oh God, that this will be a, a day to remember for all of us. And I pray, God, that you will do business in the gates today. And I pray, O oh God, that there will be a freeing and a healing and a restoring and everything, God, that you want to give your beautiful woman. Thank you, God, for your word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. We love you, Father. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.